All right. Well, if, you, if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to uh, Luke 1. That's, that's where we're going to be uh, spending most of our, of our time today, or that's going to be the, the jump-off point. Uh, we'll actually go to 2 Peter 3.18 before that, but, but be ready in Luke 1. Uh, so, so what we're doing is we're going to continue to look at what is so glorious about, about Jesus, that we're finishing up 2 Peter, and we get to this final verse. And this final verse of Second Peter, not just the, well, not just really the final verse of, of Second Peter, the, the final words in, in all of Scripture from the Apostle Peter. Uh, and what does he say? What is his sort of biblical epitaph? And it is give glory to Jesus. That, that that's our job. That's our purpose. That's what Peter ends everything with. That we're supposed to do that now. And to the day of eternity, that's what Jesus uh, calls us to do. That's what Peter lays down for his people to do. But like we talked about, glory is not just some amorphous idea. So when Peter tells us to give glory to Jesus, you can go ahead and look there in 2 Peter 3.18 to remind yourself. When, when Peter tells us to give glory to Jesus, glory has to have content. He's not just saying, you know, just, hey, well, glory be to, be to Jesus. There's always reason behind giving something glory. It's not just mere sentimentality. Like, let's just make much of Jesus. This isn't uh, Peter giving sort of like the biblical equivalent of like a participation trophy. Oh, and hey, by the way, give glory to Jesus as well. In, In fact, God spends a lot of time in the Bible telling us not to give glory to things, right? He spends a lot of time, and we looked at this, a lot of times where he tells us, don't give glory to this. You've given glory to that. I'll give my glory to no one else. And yet here at the end of 2 Peter, we saw God himself inspire Peter to tell us to give to Jesus glory now and to the day of eternity. So in order to do that, in order to be obedient to what Peter is calling us to and God is calling us to, we have to know what makes Jesus so glorious. And again, it can't just be, oh, there's something about that name, right? Oh, there's just something. No, there's a lot of stuff actually about that name. It's not just there's something. No, there's a whole list of things that make that name glorious. And so for these last I think it's almost been months now. Uh, we've been looking at what is it that makes Jesus so great? What is it that fills, should fill our mouths and our hearts with giving him the glory that he deserves? Why can Peter tell us to give glory now and to the day of eternity? Amen to Jesus. And and we start out by looking at the content that Peter gave us in that verse. Peter actually gives us a little sort of kickstart into what's so glorious about Jesus. Because what does he say? He doesn't just say give to Jesus glory both now and to the day of eternity. He says what? To our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's actually three titles that he already attaches to Jesus's name that begin to show us what is it that makes this man Jesus so amazing, that makes him glorious. And we saw it is that he is Lord, that he is Savior, that he is Christ. And so we've then, by, by taking sort of Peter's kickstart, we've taken those three titles and said, well, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? What is that? What is that talking about? What is so glorious about Jesus being Lord? And what does that even mean? And we saw how the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Lord, that capital L-O-R-D, that he is our Lord. 
And, and now we're looking at that, that second title, that he is Savior. What does it mean and what is so glorious that Jesus is Savior? And then eventually, and you know, sometimes eventually gets here a lot later than we expect. Eventually we'll get to what does it mean that Jesus is Christ? When we say Jesus Christ, what, what is that? It's not just, of course, his last name. Uh, the Christ means something. And we're going to see that it's meant something, again, as with all these others, from, from before when Jesus w- was born, early in the gospel narratives, starts talking about him being the Christ. So, so what is that? And why is it so, so glorious? And so now we're going to keep working through what it means that Jesus is our Savior. Again, the very name Jesus means Yahweh saves or God saves. Uh, So we've asked, what is Jesus saving us from? Jesus is our savior, but what is he saving us from? We saw that we need to be saved, which again is normally the first thing that you've got to convince people of, that they need to be saved to begin with, because everyone already thinks everything's fine between them and God and I don't really know why Jesus had to come and do anything. Everything's sort of peachy keen. Uh, God and I have an understanding sort of deal. Um, So we saw the, the Bible show us that people indeed need to be saved. And now we're looking at, the Bible also tells us what it is that Jesus came to save us from. And so we looked in several places where the Bible talks about things that, where it says specifically, you know, Jesus came to save you from blank. That this is what he came to save us from. And so the first that we looked at was our sin. That Jesus came to save us from our sin. And we walked through that. That was one of uh, the first things that we talked about for a few weeks. What does it mean that he's saving us from our sin? How does he do that? Uh, And now we're looking at how Jesus saves us from our enemies. And this comes, again, from one of the birth stories. This is why it's so perfect that in sovereign timing, we began, I mean, think about it. We began 1 Peter, I think three or four years ago, something like that. Maybe less. Who who knows? Uh, But here we are now uh, looking at these very much Advent sort of passages. So we're in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 71. This is where we see... God tell us that Jesus is going to come to save us. What is our Savior going to save us from? He's going to save us from our enemies. And so this has been sort of our our jumping off point. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. uh, And we'll read verses 68 through 71. And again, we don't just want to stand with our feet and with our bodies. Uh, We're hoping that this reminds us that our hearts must be giving honor uh, to the great word uh, of our God and the grace it is that we have his word says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Let's pray. Father, teach us again through your word today how it is that you save us from our enemies. And how Jesus Christ does that. Our horn of salvation raised up in the house of his servant David. Just as you spoke by the mouth of your holy prophets from of old. Father, show us how we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So we've used this passage and we've been looking at how Jesus saves us uh, from our enemies. and, And the Bible lays out. Several things where the Bible says this is one of your enemies. We don't, we're just not just making up enemies here. These are places where scripture says this is an enemy of the people of God. And so we saw how the Bible talks about the fallen world. 
uh, is an enemy, that they will hate us. So when the Bible says he'll save us from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, uh, the fallen world hates believers. We saw that Satan and his host uh, are working against believers, that they are our enemies. And we saw that death itself, so that last enemy to be destroyed. We looked at that uh, as well. And so, so just as with our sin, now we've been looking at that Jesus doesn't just promise to one day save us from these enemies, but says that in his life and death and resurrection, he already has. So we looked last week at how the Bible shows us that Jesus, uh, or the week before, how Jesus has overcome our enemies already, that he is reigning over them even now, and that he will utterly destroy them someday. When the Bible talks about Jesus' fight against our enemies, those are just, I mean, literally just the words that the Bible used. Uh, and so we thought we'd go with those. Uh, and so that's sort of what Jesus, how Jesus has uh, beaten, uh, is reigning over, and will one day utterly destroy our enemies. So we, we saw that. But we also saw that even though Jesus has defeated our enemies and is reigning, we saw last week, but the battle still continues. That the, Christ, the Bible has no problem saying that Christ can have defeated our enemies and yet we still be in battle against them. And so Christians are called to be warriors. And we looked at how the Bible calls us to fight the good fight, to wage the good warfare, that that's what we're called to do. People might go, well, isn't that a problem with Jesus' victory? How can we still be at war if he has already won? But the Bible, the Bible doesn't see that as a problem. In fact, this actually fits with the storyline of how Jesus says he has won and is reigning over his enemies. That Jesus' kingdom continues to spread like he said it would, but now we become the means through which his enemies continue to be defeated. In our preaching and proclamation of the word, God uses that to bring about redemption to the ends of the earth. And, and so you look at what after Jesus was given all authority on heaven and earth, what did he do in the Great Commission? When the Great Commission is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, and then he sends his troops out, he commissions them to go out into the world, and then he sits down and they get to work. They go to war. But the question is, what does that look like for us? If we are warriors, if we're fighting a good fight, if we're waging a good warfare, if we're in battle, how do we do that? How do you and I wage that good? If we're supposed to wage the good warfare, and if we're supposed to fight the good fight, what does that look like for us? Because you and I cannot just come up with what we think that would look like. We are not crafting our own sort of biblical fantasy here where you and I are the Aragorn of the story or you and I are the great heroes and Sauron's. And so I'm going to, I'm going to put on this type of armor and I'm going to, that's not what we're doing as Christians. We have to fight this, we have to wage this war the way that the Lord says. We have to fight it the way that God says. And the good thing is, God tells us how to do that. I mean, we all know that the Christian life is a fight. Every time I I talk to Christians and they're struggling, we will use words like, well, I'm really struggling with my sin. I'm really fighting temptation right now. So it's not like, it's not like all of us are just breezing through. And someone's got to convict us that things aren't totally 100% easy. We struggle with internal stuff. We struggle with external stuff. But what does the Christian fight look like against those struggles? What does that war look like? And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about preparing for that war. 
The Bible gives us instructions on how to get ready for the fight before the fight comes. And so we'll look at how do we as believers prepare for battle, prepare for the, the, for the warfare, prepare for the fight. And to do that, we're going to go to Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians because it's going to be, this is going to be where we're going to stay uh, in Ephesians most of today and at least one time next week. So turn to Ephesians, because uh, what we're going to see in Ephesians is a microcosm of what we're talking about. Uh, Ephesians is going to have the story of Jesus' victory, but then also our continued battle. So Ephesians won that great chapter uh, where uh, Paul is going to talk about all that Christ has done, this long list of what Christ has accomplished, not just will one day accomplish, but has accomplished in his salvation. Uh, he's going to talk about all, you know, his enemies and our enemies are going to be, you know, conquered and God's going to sit him down at his right hand. Look at Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and on. So here, here you get that picture. Jesus has conquered. He's victorious. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's a, above every enemy, any enemy that is, any enemy that, that, that will be, all things under his feet. He's the head of the church. You know, victory. Victory in Jesus. Victory for Jesus. Whatever. But that's not the end of Ephesians. Because by the time you get, now turn to Ephesians 6. Because we get to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're still battling. So Ephesians 1, good news. Jesus has won. Ephesians 6, let me tell you how to fight. And it's like, it's like, wait, what? Uh, I've got great news. He's victorious and he's seated. Yay! I've also got great news. This is how you're going to fight that war. Uh, because the Bible, again, is laying out this picture of us as these, uh, of Christ's great power, as it said in Ephesians 1. The great, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us is working these things uh, in us. So, so look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. It's going to describe our fight. It's going to describe our war. And we know this passage. All of us know this passage. We're familiar. I mean, this is the, the armor of God passage, right? So this idea that we're at war is not unusual for us. And we've got these things. We've even thought about, like, what are all these things? But... But look at what it says, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel 
for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So here we see, though, though conquered, right? Though defeated, though under Christ's feet in chapter one, our enemies still rage. So if you look here, verse 11, they still scheme. Verse 12, they still wrestle with us. Verse 16, they still fire flaming darts, right? This isn't, I mean, this is worse than like North Korea, South Korea stuff, right? That's a, this is, this war is over and yet you've still got this going on. So how does the Christian fight a good fight against these foes? How do we wage a good warfare? And it tells us how in Ephesians 6. But notice first, the first thing that we're going to see is our strength for the fight is going to come completely from Jesus. And that's just building off of what he said in Ephesians chapter 1. So, so in our fight against our enemies, it, it is not, our fight against our enemies is not distinct from Jesus' victory over them. Our fight is part of Jesus' victory over them. So we're going to see the first thing is our strength is not ours, but his. So our strength going into this, our strength to fight this a good way, to wage the good warfare is not going to come from us. Look at what verse 10 says. Verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So it is still his. So we're talking about us waging a good warfare. We're talking about us fighting a good fight, but it is still his strength that we must use to defeat our enemies. Our fight is built off of Jesus' victory, not just over them, but in us. If, if we try, so if we're, if you are wanting to fight against your enemies and you're wanting to be, you know, I'm in the Lord's army, like we talked about last week, like you're excited about that, you're gung-ho, you're ready to, you know, conquer the forces of darkness through the power of Jesus Christ or whatever, uh, you're ready to do all that, you've got to recognize if we try and fight our battles against sin, against our enemies, in our strength, or in our way, we will fail. Our fight, our war, the good warfare, the good fight, all of those things must be built off of him, off of his victory in us and over them. There must always, as Christians, there must always be a level of humility in our fighting which means we must constantly remember that our strength comes from and is always in the Lord and in the Lord alone. Even the most skilled Christian, even the most mature Christian, the perfect Christian cannot succeed in his own power. We've got to remember that. That you can't win this war because you are so holy and good now because of you. You are strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But we must also remember, we must also remember that the Lord will indeed and has indeed given us this strength. So when we read Ephesians 6, 10, we go, my my strength needs to be in the Lord. But what we don't want to do is then go, well, I sure hope he gives me that strength. I sure hope when the battle comes, he's not like, uh, and like takes it away, like some sort of, you know, Jesus juke, like you thought you were going to fight, but now you're not. I'm going to humble you so much, show you your lack of, of power. 
the Lord will indeed give us the strength that we need and, and has indeed given us his power. One of the biggest struggles we deal with in, as Christians is not believing in God, but believing God. Believing that God either has the strength that we need or that through him we have the strength. I, I hear all the time from Christians this unfortunate phrase, I can't do it. I just can't. And so we're talking about temptation and they know what they need to do. And they say things like, I can't do it. And, and I'm tempted to say, you're right, you can't. And in fact, I probably have before. But that's slightly incorrect for the believer. Because the truth is, and, and many of you have heard me stop you in the middle of your sentences and say, stop, that's a lie. Yes, you can. Why? You can do it, but not because of you. You can do it because Christ is in you. And if Christ is in you, then you have the power that you need. You have his power to overcome temptation and the struggle. And what you say, I can't do this. I can't be obedient. Yes, you can. In fact, that's, um, what does Paul say in Ephesians, uh, Philippians 4.13? When he's talking about it, he says, I can do all things, what? Through him who strengthens me. Whatever he's going through, rich, poor, base, not, struggling, whatever struggle Paul was going through in Philippians chapter 4, he said, I know that I can go through any of this. Great times, bad times, I can go through any of it. Why? Through Christ who gives me strength. Now, if we try and be strong in ourselves, we will fail. The first step in preparing to fight our enemies is to realize that the Lord is our strength. And to realize that he is mighty indeed. And mighty not just for us, but in us. I think some of us need to remember that the Lord's arm is not so short that it cannot save. We handle this or, or, or temptation or, or whatever. It sure looks like we don't think God is strong enough. We, we, are, we are not amazed. We are not assured in the strength of God's might. If you want to be in the Lord's army, you want to prepare for battle the right way, your faith had better be in the Lord and not in yourself. But it must not just not be in yourself. It better be in the Lord. You must genuinely and truly trust him. That the Lord is not the commander who's going to send out his troops and then you're going to find him hanging you out to dry. Your strength must be in the Lord and in Christ your strength is in the Lord. So, our strength is the Lord. It's all his. It's not ours, but we still fight. We still wrestle as it says. This isn't, so the Christian fight isn't just us sort of watching our older brother take care of our bullies here, right? The Christian fight isn't just going, yeah, my strength in Jesus and just sort of sitting back and watching Jesus like kapow, 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 uh, our, our, our enemies. So what do we do? Well, let's look at what God says in his word again, because again, this is sort of our training manual for war. Here, this is our art of war, uh, the Christian art of war uh, here in, in Ephesians 6. The first thing that we've got to do after recognizing that our strength is in him is we must armor up. The first thing that he tells us to do is to armor up. You armor up for the fight. Verse 11, what does he say? Put on the whole armor of God. So, so the first thing you do is that you find that your strength, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The second thing you do is you then put on the armor, right? You, you put, so again, it's not, all right, 
Be strong in the Lord, and then you don't have to worry. He's like, be strong in the Lord, and then put your armor on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Or verse 13. Therefore, again, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So if we're going to fight and be strong, if we're going to stand, he says, we've got to have our armor on. But, but he doesn't, notice he didn't just say, hey, you know, get your armor on. He, he, we've got to put our armor on the right way. It's got to be done the right way. And that begins by saying we must have the right armor. Because he didn't just say just put on any old armor. What does he say to do? He says to put on the armor of God. That's what it says in verses 11 and 13. It's not just any armor. It's the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Again, you and I in our Christian fights do not get to choose how we fight. We do not get to choose what ideas or methods are the most effective or the ones we think that will win the battle. Uh, This is why Christians, we don't look to polling data. We don't investigate the latest psychology ideas for how to, you know, convince people or change minds or fight against sin. Uh, if, If we're going to stand... The only way we do that, the only armor that will work is the armor of God. So it's got to be the right armor. If you and I are going to prepare for battle, we've got to armor up. We've got to get ready, but we can't just get ready any way that we want to. You can't just say, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to fix things in my marriage because I talked to my aunt and they've been married for 35 years for the third time. Uh, She's been married 35 years if you add them all up. Uh, if you had all her marriages up, I think by now she's got it. Uh, it's not just, oh, I know how to raise my kids because because I was watching an afternoon special or because, you know what, I just think this is really going to work or I wish someone had done this with me or even this worked for me, so it must work for them. The, the way that we stand against struggles, the way that we stand firm in this fight, the way we fight the good fight, the way we wage the good warfare is by putting on not just armor, but putting on the armor of God. I mean, everyone in this world is trying to fix their life. Everyone's trying to armor up. The Christian is not unusual in that things are going bad and they want to not be hurt by those things. The difference between the Christian and the world is we put on the armor of God, not the paper armor that the world has come up with. There's a reason that the self-help shelves are full and always full of new books, right? There's never like the self-help section is empty except for this one book that really worked. And so it's here, it's been a bestseller for 25 years, and we don't need any others, right? You can have, you, this is the great thing about, this is why if you want to make money, just get into the self-help book world. Uh, You can have the same author write multiple self-help books, and you're like, why didn't you just put it all in the same book to begin with? Uh, what do you, what, do, what have you figured out? And he's like, I figured out how to make money is what I figured out. Uh, and so as Christians, that's not what we do. We put on not the best ideas that the world comes up with, not even the best ideas that we come up with. We put on the armor of God. So it's got to be the right armor, but it's not, notice, it's not just that it's got to be the right armor. It's got to be what? All of the armor. But again, look at what it says in verses 11 and 13. It doesn't just say, put on the armor of God. It says what? Put on the whole armor of God. The all of the armor. 
Put on all of the armor of God. Both, both verse 11 and verse 13 make it clear that if we're going to fight the right way, we've got to put on not just the armor, but the whole armor. There, look, there is no, there's no such thing as halfway fighting against our enemies. There are no half measures when it comes to waging the good warfare, to fighting the good fight. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't just put on part of it. Yet in our sin, what we often do and in our foolishness is we think that as long as we're doing something, then we're fighting and we should be happy for that. As long as you're doing something, you're fighting. If we don't put the whole armor of God we don't put the whole armor of God on, then we can't be surprised when we don't stand firm because he says to put on the whole armor of God and be able to stand that. He says, stand firm having put on the whole armor of God. I mean, if we went out into an actual war and you had all, and I see you fully, all this chance to armor up, you're like, I, I think I'm good with the shoe. This is a really good shoe. It's got a steel toe. I think I'll be fine. And yet as Christians, that's what we often do. We think as long as I'm doing something, I know there's all these other things that I'm supposed to be doing, all these other ways that my heart is supposed to be prepared, the, the armor of God to actually protect my home, to protect my family, to protect my marriage, to protect myself. I know I'm not doing those, but I'm doing this. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we must put on the whole armor of God. But it doesn't, doesn't even just say put on the whole armor of God. It then tells us what that armor is because the Bible knows how foolish we are, right? We will make up armor of God. We will say, well, I think the armor of God is this, but it doesn't give us a chance to do that. So looking, look at verses seven, uh, 14 through 17. It lists for us what the armor of God is. So he says, put on the whole armor of God. And in case you wanted to know what that is, let me tell you. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So again, it's not, the Bible doesn't say, Put on the armor of God and then say, yeah, make sure you put on your breastplate and you put on your helmet and you put on, you grab a shield. It doesn't even just say that. Everything, everything down to your shoes is named by God, right? You and I don't even get to arm up with everything and then go, but I don't like the way these shoes go with this outfit. Like even our shoes are intentional in that there's going to be no Achilles moment for the Christian here. Even our shoes are determined by him. And notice what it is that we must be clothed in to fight well. What does it say? Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. That's the armor. That's the whole armor. So if you are going to be fighting against sin, these are the things that must be present in your life. And if you're looking at your life and going, well, why am I not winning the battle against the enemies that are coming against me? And you look and you don't have these things in your life. Here's why. You don't have armor on. And you're wondering why you're losing. We need all of these. He says, put on the whole armor of God and he lists all of them out. So when we're looking at, we can't be satisfied that we're fighting because we remember that we're saved. So remembering our salvation, we're putting on the helmet. 
You can't just think, oh, well, well I'm ready for the fight because I've got, I've got faith. And James says that faith without works is dead. And I think this teaches us that faith without righteousness is defenseless. Faith without works is dead and faith without righteousness is defenseless. I mean, you, when you're looking at this list, you can't even, you and I cannot even be satisfied with 75% or 99.9%. We must make sure that our lives are using all of these things. If there's an area of this you're looking at and you're saying, I don't know if I have this in my life. I don't know if I'm taking this up. I don't know if this is present in me. Well, pick it up. Put it on. These are, all of these are yours in Christ. None of these are, there's not some secret. I'm not giving you, going to give you a map to find these things. And if I did, it would, you'd be like, all the maps lead to Jesus. And I'd go, yeah, that's right. It's where all of this comes from. This is the strength of his might. This is what he's doing. This is what he has done in us. So the battle for the Christian, it's going to continue. We must fight. We must fight with humility, recognizing that it's, it's his strength, not ours. We must armor up for the fight. We've got to put on the right armor, the armor of God. And we've got to put on all the armor, the whole armor of God. And then we have to remember this. And this, I think, is one of the most important things for us to remember uh, is we have to get ready beforehand. We get ready for the fight beforehand. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he goes on, having fastened, having put on. In other words, you stand after you've done all these things. You're able to stand because you've done all these things previously. We're able to stand because we have put on the armor of God, verse 10. Because we have taken up. It doesn't say the battle comes and hurry up and take this up. It says we're going to be able to stand because we already have taken these things up. Now, oftentimes what we think is we go, oh, I'm struggling. It's time for me to run to Ephesians 6 and find out how to armor up. Oh, I'm struggling. I'm in a war with my sin. Oh, I better run to Ephesians 6 or there's some Bible verse to, to prepare me to get ready now. If you're thinking, if the battle's already come, it's too late to armor. I mean, you got to remember, in their day, putting on this amount of armor would have taken at least five to ten minutes. If you're, in other words, if you're not ready, if they weren't ready, if their soldiers weren't ready when the enemy attacked, they were dead. So soldiers were dressed for battle the whole time. And God expects us to be dressed for battle every day. I mean, we cannot get ready for the fight when the enemy is already swinging, which is what we try to act like kids playing tag. Right? You ever watch kids playing tag? It'll wear you out to watch them do it. But what do they always do when someone's about to get tagged? What do they, what do they cry? Time out. Time out, like, right, right, like, Levi does this all the time. Like, if you're playing with Levi, just be ready for it's going to come. Like, you're about to tag somebody with, time out. And that's kind of what we try to do in the fight against sin. Like, we see it coming, and we feel it. Maybe there's tension in the home. Maybe our kids are acting a certain way, and we're like, I think this could be a problem. And what do we do is we're like, ah, I probably should have fixed that a while ago. But I didn't. And so you're like, wait, can we just wait? And the enemy's like, no, I don't think so. 
That's what we try to do. We try to armor up when the, when the enemy is already taking a swing at us. And you know what's sad? I think if we're actually honest, normally, we don't even armor up then. Because we will wait until the enemy has hacked away for a while before we respond. We let the enemy hack away at our marriages until we can't bear it anymore. And then we say, well, we better do something about this. Well, we're both bloody and gashed and bleeding and wounded. And we go, now we should probably try to stop this because this isn't good. We let the enemy have free reign over our children until it either gets too tough or too embarrassing. And then we think, well, I better do something. Why? Because I'm embarrassed because this is bad. We let him hack away for years in our homes and in our lives before we start to do anything. So this is how ill-prepared we are. We're supposed to be ready for the battle beforehand. We don't even get ready when the enemy starts striking. A lot of times we are so lazy, we won't even armor up when he's been hacking on us for a while. Most of our problems, and why isn't this working? Is that we weren't prepared. We got wounded. And now we're trying to fight while wounded. And so, so take, for example, again, the question of marriage. We weren't prepared. We didn't, we didn't armor up. Maybe, maybe we were armored up for a few years. Maybe we were armored up uh, before we got married or whatever. Maybe we were armored up till kids came and it got really harried and, and, and just crazy. Whatever happened, we, we, for whatever reason, we weren't prepared. We weren't doing things right. We hadn't armored up. And then, boom. And then our home, which had been fine, is suddenly now not fine. And, and we've said things and done things that have strained our marriage and our home. And that's when we think, well, we better fix this. And so now, now we try to fight for a godly home. We try to fight the good fight. But what's the problem? We're both wounded. And we're wounded often by the very person that we now have to fight with instead of against. So we've wounded each other in the home. And then it's like, let's make this home godly. And you've got to turn your back on someone that you're not, that just the other day kind of slashed you. And what do you know? There's some trust issues involved. I mean, it'd be like, it'd be like a fellow soldier who has attacked us and then turned around and said, oh, my bad, it won't happen again. If you're going to fight right, you must always be prepared for battle. Because when, when there's trouble, it's too late. If you want to stand, you have to put on the whole armor of God already. That means your life must be armored up in truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace and faith and salvation and the word every single day. Not just when things start to get tough. 
You don't just run to these things when you start to feel a little strain in the marriage. You don't run to these things when your kids start to act out. You don't run to these things when you start to look at things you shouldn't be looking at or act the way you shouldn't be acting or something comes out of your mouth that shouldn't come out. That's not when you start putting, I better put on the armor. That's too late. You're supposed to have this stuff on before, before. We, we take the shield so we get hit by the fiery darts and then we go, shield up. I mean, the darts are already in us. Then we're like, I got my shield. We've got to get ready beforehand. We can't just strap these things into our life in the middle of the raging battle. We're able to stand, he says, when we've already put these things on. You want to be able to stand against anything the enemy can throw at you. You want your home protected. You want your marriage, your kids, your church. Then make sure you're arming up with these things every day. This is the armor of God. And he says, get it on and get it on now, not then. And let me encourage you, if you are someone who hasn't put this on and you are both wounded, remember that when you're like, why isn't fixing this going smoothly? Remember that both you are wounded and the other person is wounded, probably by you. Husbands, if it's a problem with your home and your kids, you have wounded your wife and your children by your lack of action. So when you finally probably because you're real embarrassed by what's happening in your home, decide we better fix this. What happens is you decide we better fix this and then you get frustrated at all of them that it's not fixing quickly. But they're wounded by your laziness. They've been wounded by your ungodliness. So remember that when you're doing the triage of fixing the home. And husbands also remember that when you lead your home, you are leading them either to be prepared in these things or to start taking these things off. Wives, you want, you want your husband to be the godly husband that he's supposed to be? Recognize that your razor-sharp tongue has probably inflicted some wounds upon his pride and respect that he's probably not just going to forget tomorrow or because you decided to start reading your Bible more or doing the right thing or whatever. So if you haven't put the... I don't want you to think, okay, I didn't put the armor on it, so we're dealing with all this. Does this mean we can't stand? No, this just means that you're already not standing. You've been knocked down, but you can get back. If you put these things on and start fighting the right way. So start putting on the armor. It's too late to avoid any wounds, but it's not too late uh, to win, to overcome it. So then we armor up, we put on the armor of God, get it on, get it on now. And then what do we do? Well, then we fight. That's the last thing we fight. I love, he, so he lays out, he lays out the armor of God. Look, look at the order in, in Ephesians 6, 14 through 17. You put on the, I love it. You put on the belt of truth. You put on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, the shoes of, of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. You get all of this armor, right? And then finally in verse 17, and really, I just think almost like cinematic fashion, you reach over, you have this reaching over and grabbing of the sword of the spirit. I, I love that. It's a, it's a, it would be a great scene to film, right? Armoring up all these things, putting on all this armor, and then at the end, reaching for a sword. I, I just love that. It, it, I think it's important. It's important. It's obviously important that the Christian is given a sword because it's not like God was like, well, I don't know what other armor to give him, and I've got to do something with the word. Uh, and I've already used shoes, so let's just give him a sword. I mean, there, there's a reason 
that the sword is used. The, the word of God is a sword in our battle against the fallen world. We, we are supposed to wield it. I love it because the Christian life is often pictured as just sort of passive, almost monastic acceptance of the flood of the world's wickedness. That so we just kind of, your job is just to be like, ah, and when it's over, either you'll be standing or not. But that's not really the picture that we see here. The Christian is not just passive. The Christian is fighting. We armor up. Yes, we armor up. But, and then we start swinging. Our job isn't just to stand, but to fight back. The, the, the Christian fight is not just some defensive holding of the line, but a powerful thrust into the heart of darkness itself. And God equips us to fight that way. And we saw it in, we saw it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Where he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So we've been given weapons, weapons not just to defend, but to destroy strongholds. We'll look at this, but strongholds normally aren't the things coming at you. Strongholds are the things you're going against. The weapons of the word of God are weapons forged by God and they are not purposeless. They are swords crafted for war. So as Christians, we put on our armor and we start swinging. And we'll look at how we swing next week. Uh, How does the Christian fight? So we've prepared for battle. We've prepared for war. And then that that cinematic fashion, we reach over and we grab the sword. We're going to see how the Bible instructs us in, in how to swing, how to swing a sword uh, next week. But Christians, today, what have we seen? Uh, we are in a, a fight. We're in a war. The, the battle, uh, the victory has been won, but our enemies still rage. Uh, as Christians, we are these warriors. We're, we're humble warriors, recognizing that Jesus is both the source and substance of our strength. But God has, in his grace, given us what we need for war. And first thing he's given us is he's given us the armor that we may be able to stand. And so we've got to put on the whole armor of God. We must have lives of truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, preparing ourselves beforehand for a fight that we know will come. And then we take up our swords and we fight back. Okay. Uh, So let's look now at a couple of application questions and we'll be done. Um, the first thing, and, and let's go ahead and pray through these because just want us to think and, uh, and really take what we've learned in the word and, and look at our lives and let the spirit, uh, convict us of his word. And, and we want to respond in prayer, not just mental recognition, but, uh, repentance or faith. So just as we, as we pray, um, do you realize that you're in a war? Do you realize that you are in a war? Are you, are you trying to be some sort of draft dodger? Listen, you, you, can, you can put down your Bible. You can, you can get out of church. You can do all, but you cannot escape the war. If you're a Christian, you cannot escape the fight. And sometimes we get so overwhelmed and we feel so, we feel so incompetent or we feel like such failures that we think, well, I just better get out of all this because it's getting into this. It, man, it really brought this war to the, to the forefront. So I'm just going to, you can't, you're not getting out of it. You're just losing. 
do you realize that in this war, Christian, you have no hope in your own strength or your own ideas or, or the strength or ideas of others? Think about where you turn in temptation and struggles and fights and wars. Where do you turn to prepare for, for battle? Are you turning to God? Are you turning to Christ and his strength? Because if you turn to yours, one, you'll be foolishly prideful for one, and two, you'll be hopelessly defeated. You'll think, if you look to your own strength, either you're going to be dumb and think, I can do this on my own, or you're going to look and say, oh, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this. You got to rest in Christ and his strength. Be strong in him and in the strength of his might. Christian, are you armored up with the whole armor of God? Look, it's your life. Is your life one of truth, of righteousness, of the gospel of peace, of faith, of salvation, of the word? Not a few of those pieces, but all of them, all of them. Or have you been satisfied that you're just putting on something? And Christian, are you ready now? Are you ready for the fight now? Or are you waiting for the conflict to come? Are you allowing yourself to rest in the middle of a war thinking you're safe, thinking you're secure? You've got to prepare beforehand. So if you haven't been preparing beforehand, if you've just been waiting for the fight to come, it's sort of doing an up and down Christianity that waits till things get tough and then you run to the Bible, then you run to prayer, then you run to these things and then it gets easy again and you stop and then things get tough and you run to the Bible, you run to the Lord and back and forth. Why does it keep being this up and down? Because you're supposed to prepare beforehand, not in the middle of. And then Christian, are you fighting? Are you fighting back? Have you taken up the sword of the word of God? And, and it's going to be very clear. If, if we're going to fight, it's through the word of God. Not our own personalities, not our own charismas, not our winsomeness, not being friendly or being peaceable. You know, it's all through his word. That's how we fight. That's what we take up. That is our sword. Father, we come to you today, God, and we, we know that we are in this battle and we know that is because of you and your great grace because we were once dead corpses floating in a dead world and you have brought us to life and then caused our lives to be the means by which your gospel spreads and grows. And Father, I, I pray that we will be faithful warriors on your behalf, that we will uh, be proclaiming how great you are, that we will go and we will tell and we will proclaim the greatness of our God and that we will show people in your word uh, just the power of you and of your kingdom. And Father, I pray that we will be armored up against anything that comes our way, that we will prepare ourselves for the fiery darts of the evil one, that we will recognize that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
Father, but against these spiritual forces, these powers, these rulers, these authorities, even in heavenly places, Father. I pray that recognizing all of that, we will put on the armor beforehand. We'll be ready to fight. We will fill our lives, Father, with the truth and righteousness and gospel and faith and salvation and the word that we need to have. uh, And then that we will start swinging as we trust in your strength and in your might to protect us and to conquer them. Uh, We thank you for these things, Father. We give all glory to Jesus. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray and can proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Amen.